Good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you all. Hope that you are doing well as we move well and truly into winter. Certainly kicked in. It's fascinating to think earlier this week it was like 23 degrees and we're like, spring's still here. Nope, not so much. Uh, it is really good to be together. And uh, as we begin our message today, I want to ask you, when you hear the word kingdom, what comes to mind for you? When you hear the word kingdom, what images does that conjure up for you? Kingdom has been a key element of this series that we've been working through, and it's a key word that we use on a regular basis here at Richmond uh, as we understand what it means to be a part of what Jesus has created for us. But I think for a lot of us, it's kind of this weird word where uh, certainly for me, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of a kingdom is a castle, some big castle with lovely manicured gardens, tea parties happening out in the gardens. Maybe that's what comes to mind for you. Maybe you think, particularly on the uh, King's birthday weekend, of the royal family and all of their minions all around them, making them feel good and important. Maybe you think of a geographic area. So you think of the kingdom of a certain specific area, and so it's kind of a bounded area with borders. Uh, Maybe that's what comes to mind for you. It's a really important thing for us to wrestle with, because if those are our images of what the kingdom is like, then it is going to shape a lot of our perceptions of a whole bunch of the things that Jesus said. Brian McLaren wrote a book a number of years ago called The Secret Message of Jesus. And uh, one of the things that I really loved in that is that he proposed that maybe we need to think about a number of different words to substitute in for the word kingdom. So he proposed things like the dream of God to recognise that what Jesus comes to bring us is an understanding of what God's dream is for us as humanity. Or maybe to think of the revolution of God, that the kingdom is actually flipping everything upside down and being able to see things through the lens of a revolution. Or he suggests maybe the party of God is helpful for us to think about. Extended family, friends coming together, having a great time, having a meal together, really sharing life with each other. The dance of God is another example that he gave. So this idea of being in sync with each other and being aligned with something that's swirling all around us. And one that I really love, which is the ecosystem of God, which I think is really helpful to think about how everything at the end of the day is connected and has an impact on everything else. It's helpful for us sometimes to think about different words like that and substitute that in for the kingdom because it rounds out this picture of what it is that Jesus is trying to tell us, that life the way that we were created to live actually looks like. And so today we're continuing this series called Engage and Encounter, where over the last number of weeks we've spent time engaging with a number of different types of scripture so that we can encounter Jesus. And we've been reminding ourselves that the Bible is not a single book. The Bible is far more like a library. And within that library, there are all sorts of different types of literature. And so we need to approach all of that literature in different ways as we engage with it so that we can understand what's really going on there, because the whole point is so that ultimately we can encounter Jesus. And so we have spent some time looking at Old Testament narratives. We've spent some time looking at the law. We've spent time looking at the prophets, the Psalms. And last week, uh, we spent some time looking at gospel narratives. And uh, each week, we've also provided some resources for you to be able to continue to explore that type of literature throughout the week and some questions to be able to help you reflect on what it looks like to encounter Jesus through that. 
And so as we head towards the end of the series, only got a couple of weeks left, I want to encourage you to continue that journey. Because one of the challenges is that this series will end, and maybe for some of you, you're like, thank goodness, because this has been going on well and truly long enough, but this series will end at some point, and then we'll move on to some other things. And the danger is always that we move on, and that's it. Our purpose when we do these series is to try and lay foundations to be able to say, we hope you'll take something with you into the next thing that we do and the thing after that. And so our hope with this series was very much about us being equipped to be able to engage with Scripture in deeper and deeper ways. But, as we've already talked a little bit about this morning, that requires practice, and it requires significant amounts of practice for it to become a habit for us. I was listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago uh, that gave a very helpful illustration of the difference between a device and an instrument. That we're very used to these amazing magic things that we call devices that are a big part of our life. So we have these devices that you press a button and magically the air temperature changes. We've done that today. We have these devices that you press a button and magically all of these pictures appear on a screen and it's so incredible. And we have these really amazing devices that you press a whole bunch of different buttons and all of these different things happen. So our smartphones, we press a button and magically we can hear music from all over the world. We press another button and magically we can access our bank accounts. We press another button and magically we can access unlimited amounts of video content. And so we have all of these devices, but the challenge is that's programmed us then to think that life is about pressing a button and something magic will happen. And if we're not careful, we can project that onto how we approach Scripture, where we think, particularly if we're using the Bible app on our phone, that we just kind of press a button and magically God's going to speak to us. And there's an element of truth to that. But this person was contrasting the difference between a device and an instrument. So if you think about a grand piano, if you sit down at a grand piano and press the button, it does make a noise, but it only makes one noise. (laughs) And it takes a very, very long time for you to be able to learn how to use the instrument to allow it to do what it was created to do. And in some ways, Scripture is very similar to that, that it takes a lot of practice and a lot of work over time for us to be able to use Scripture for what it's designed to be used for. And so I want to encourage you as we head towards the end of this series to continue to challenge yourself about what it looks like, to treat the Bible as an instrument and to be able to learn how to use that in deeper and deeper ways. And so this week, we're going to take some time to unpack uh, the parables. And so ironically, if you do have the Bible app on your phone, you may now press your magic button and open up to uh, our teaching notes. So if you go to the bottom right down where more is, uh, and then events, and then tap on Richmond Baptist, you'll see that our teaching notes for today are there. Or if you have an old school Bible with you, you can open up to Matthew chapter 20, uh, because that's where we're going to go in a couple of minutes. So... Parables. What are parables? Well, parables are stories that have extra layers of meaning to them, kind of like onions or parfait. You're welcome, all of you Shrek fans. So parables have layers to them. They're great, great stories on their own, which are very accessible. So the people who are hearing these parables would have been able to instantly be able to understand what was being talked about because they were generally about things that were very much a part of normal life. But when you stop and think about a parable and the story that you've just heard, you realise there's all of these extra layers of meaning underneath it and a whole bunch of stuff that you didn't realise was there on first listen. 
The parables aren't unique to Jesus. Jesus wasn't the first one to use parables. They'd in particular been a key teaching tool uh, for Jewish rabbis for a very, very long time. And they're weaved throughout the Old Testament as well. So there are a number of different parables that we read throughout the Old Testament. Uh, But for Jesus, they were a key part of his way of being able to help people to understand things. And part of the reason for that is we know how much impact stories have on us. We know how much difference it makes to be able to hear a story that reminds us of a whole bunch of things. And so for Jesus speaking into a culture that wasn't very literate and certainly didn't have a whole bunch of books that they could refer back to, having these stories as hooks that people could use to be able to remind themselves of what Jesus was saying was super, super helpful. But similarly to what Mark shared last week about gospel narratives, parables generally don't give us a clear and therefore the lesson is... Jesus doesn't finish by saying, and this is the one thing that I want you to take away from this. But rather they invite us to reflect on what's happening in the story and the way in which people are responding and reacting in the story that we hear and therefore invited to reflect on how we want to respond to Jesus and the ideas and values that are said there as well. And in actual fact, with a lot of the parables that Jesus shared, they weren't where people walked away and said, yes, that's crystal clear. A lot of the time people walked away and they're like, what was he talking about? <laughs> What's going on there? Particularly his disciples at times point blank say, um, Jesus, what was that all about? Can you, can you unpack that a little bit more for us? N.T. Wright uh, wrote this quote, Jesus told stories that were for the most part not simply illustrations, that is, preachers' tricks to, decor- to decorate an abstract thought or a complicated teaching. Seems like a bit of a jab at preachers there, but that's all right. If anything, they were the opposite. Jesus' stories are designed to tease, to clothe the shocking and revolutionary message about God's kingdom in garb that would leave the listeners wondering, trying to think it out. Whatever the parables are, they are not, as children are sometimes taught in Sunday school, earthly stories with heavenly meaning. Rather, they are expressions of Jesus' shocking announcement that God's kingdom was arriving on earth as in heaven. So parables are not primarily supposed to be these moral stories where at the end of it we say, oh, this is how I'm supposed to live in a right way. But rather, parables pose a question for us to wrestle with what kind of kingdom Jesus has come to establish. And again, you might like to substitute in what kind of dream, what kind of ecosystem, what kind of party Jesus has come to establish and what it means for us to embrace and allow others to encounter the kingdom. That's the purpose of a parable is for us to wrestle with those questions, not primarily take away this is how to live the right way. And as we encounter the parables, we recognise the very upside-down nature of what the kingdom is all about. That most people who were hearing them, particularly the religious leaders, were very, very challenged about their perceptions of what the kingdom was like compared to what Jesus was saying. And so there were between, or there are between 30 and 50 parables, which is always interesting that there's a range of them. And uh, the reason for that is that some parables are overt parables where Jesus starts out by saying the kingdom is like. And then there are some other things that Jesus, is, that Jesus says uh, where he's sharing a story or an insight. And some people would say that's a parable and other people would say that's just direct teaching. Regardless of whether it is 30, 50 or somewhere in between, all of these really help us to have an amazing picture of what the kingdom is like. 
And so this week, we're going to have a look at a number of different parables throughout the week on our resource sheets. Uh, and so we're going to look at the, mustards, uh, the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast, reminding us that Jesus says that the kingdom is like something very small that ends up having a massive impact. The parable of the Good Samaritan, challenging us about the way in which we see other people and the way in which we care for other people compared to what the kingdom is supposed to be like. The parable of the friend at midnight, challenging us about the way in which we imagine what God is like and the way that God responds to our prayers. And the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, challenging us about our posture towards God and our understanding about what our spiritual practices are designed for. And so I hope that you will take some time to explore those as we move through this week. But as we explore those stories and the understanding of the kingdom that we receive from them, we also want to wrestle with the reality that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection mean that the kingdom is available to us now. This is the other thing that we can sometimes do is think, oh, the kingdom is heaven. That's what heaven is going to be like. And so when we pass from this life into the next, then we'll get to experience all of those things. But Jesus was very clear that the kingdom is actually available now. The kingdom is breaking in now. The kingdom is within us now. It's not something that we have to wait for, and it's certainly not something that we have to try and earn, and therefore we'll be able to receive it. While we recognise that we live in a world that is filled with a lot of brokenness and a lot of darkness and a lot of challenges, we also recognise that the kingdom is here and the kingdom is available to us. And so a part of what we have the privilege of being able to do as a church family together is to live out kingdom values so that we get to experience the kingdom together. But also then to be able to live out the kingdom in the way that we live our lives in such a way that the people around us also get to experience the kingdom in tangible ways. So I'd love you to keep that in the front of your mind as we have a look at this parable today. So Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16, the parable of the labourers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and he saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and he saw some people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one has hired us. So the landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers uh, in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed that they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. 
So as we've done throughout this series, we want to use a set of questions, which are the same questions that we'll be able to reflect on throughout this week, to be able to just lean into this story a little bit more. And so the first question for us to consider is, why do you think that Jesus chose to tell this story? All of the parables that Jesus told were for a reason. Something had been going on, and that's why he told this story. He wasn't just kind of walking along with his disciples. He's like, hey, guys, you want to hear a story? Like, no, something had been happening, and that's the reason why he uh, chose to say what he would. So in this one, we can go back a chapter, and if we look at the beginning of the previous chapter, we recognise that Jesus has just been having a bit of a debate with the Pharisees. They've been trying to trick Jesus uh, by asking him some really curly questions and uh, have failed dismally at that. Then a whole bunch of kids have come to spend some time with Jesus, and there's been some pushback around that from Jesus' disciples which is fascinating. And Jesus is like, no, no, it's totally fine. In fact, they're really great. And then a rich man comes to Jesus with lots of really good questions that he seems to already have the answers for. But ultimately, Jesus ends up challenging him about whether he's willing to give up the thing that is most important to him, to give up his wealth, and he isn't able to. And so he walks away from that very sad. Then Peter kicks in and says, Jesus, look at all the stuff that we've given up for you are we going to end up being rewarded because of that? And so Jesus ends that chapter by saying, those who are first will be last, and those who are last will be first. And then Jesus shares this parable, which also finishes with, those who are first will be last, and those who are last will be first. And so clearly, we can recognise that Jesus is choosing to tell this story to challenge a couple of notions. First of all, about who's most important and who's least important but also about what it means for us to earn what we get in the kingdom. So what do we have to do in order to earn what God wants to give us? That's what Jesus is wanting us to wrestle with through this parable. So a second question that we then start to lean into is what do we discover about Jesus' heart and character through this story? We often talk about King Jesus and reference King Jesus. So what sort of king is Jesus? And so we look at some of the characteristics that are presented through this story, and we recognise that faithfulness is very well presented here, that all of the people were given what it was that they were promised. The landowner delivered on his promises, and so we recognise that a part of kingdom living under King Jesus is that faithfulness is true. Generosity is another characteristic that we see coming through. The landowner didn't have to pay everyone the same, but at the end of the parable, effectively says that. Isn't it my ability to be generous and to be kind if that's what I would like to do? So we recognise that generosity is a part of Jesus' character as well. But interestingly, we can also recognise that compassion is a part of the heart of Jesus that comes through in this story. Because a part of what's going on behind the scenes in this parable is after day labourers had worked a full day in Jesus' time, they would have had to go to the market, so they would have finished work and they would have gone immediately to the market to buy food to eat that night. So you would earn what you would earn, hopefully enough to be able to buy enough food for dinner that night to take, literally take food home to put on the table. And so one of the things that's hiding behind the scenes here is that Jesus is effectively saying, if these people who came at the end of the day and only worked one hour were paid a twelfth of what the others were paid, then they wouldn't have had enough food to be able to eat. They wouldn't have had enough money to be able to go to the market and to buy food to be able to provide for their family. 
And so we can see the compassionate heart of Jesus, yes, being generous, but also saying, I want to be compassionate and understand these people need this money. <laughs> so depriving them of that because of some version of equality is not actually aligned with the kingdom at all. As we continue to wrestle with that, another question that we can think about is what's unexpected or surprising in this parable? And so how else would you have expected this story to resolve? So that's a good example. We could have expected this story to resolve with the landowner saying, okay, you only work for an hour, so you only get that much of the wage that you deserve. That's it at the end of the day. But this is a really good question for us to wrestle with, particularly as we become familiar with the parables, because I don't know about you, but sometimes I can read a parable or hear a parable, and it's like, yeah, yeah, I know this story and I know the punchline. But we should stop and think, well, how else could this story have resolved itself? This one's a great example because a few hundred years before Jesus, there was another Jewish rabbi who had told a very, very similar story. He told a story about a landowner who went to hire some day labourers who came and worked in his vineyard, and then he went back to the city and he hired some more day labourers to work for him a little bit later in the day, and then he did it again, and then he did it an hour before the end of the day. All the same things that Jesus has said. And so then at the end of the day, the final people who were hired get paid first, same as Jesus said. And then when the first people who were hired come, they're like, well, we should get paid more because they clearly did. And so that's great. The difference is that the way that that parable used to finish was that the landowner responded by saying, those people who were hired at the end of the day did more work in the last hour of their day than you did in the whole day. And therefore, they deserve the same amount of wage as you do. So we can see how Jesus has flipped that completely to say it's not because they deserved it, it's not because they earned it, it's not because they worked harder or because someone else didn't work hard enough, it's simply out of generosity and compassion. So wrestling with this question, how else could we have expected this to resolve, is a helpful way of us being able to catch what it is that Jesus was trying to draw our attention to. And then we can ask ourselves, how is Jesus offering an invitation to a different way of living through this parable? And what could change if all of those who followed Jesus lived this way? This is a part of what I've been very challenged about through this series as we've continued to come back to this question about what is the kingdom that Jesus comes to bring, is what would it actually look like if I chose to live that out? If I chose to live kingdom values every single day of my life. But I'm also challenged about what that looks like for us. That if we as a community said yes to Jesus' invitation to say, let's live as kingdom people with these values present in everything that we did, what would change? What would change in terms of our experience with each other? But then also what would change as we then move out into all of the different circles that we walk and that we work throughout the week? But then I multiply that out and think if everyone who follows Jesus in Adelaide, in all of the different churches that we're in partnership with, chose to live by kingdom values, what transformation could happen in our city? And as I multiply that out and think, what if everyone who claims to follow Jesus in Australia chose to live with kingdom values at the heart of who they were, what would change about the sort of country that we would live in? 
And then when we multiply that out and think at a global scale, if everyone around the world who said that they followed Jesus chose to live with kingdom values primarily in their lives, what would change? What transformation could occur at a global level if we all chose to live this way? It's a helpful way of shifting it just from intellectually, yes, that's a great story, Jesus, and it would be great if people chose to live that way, to the challenge of saying, how does this impact me? And what does it look like for me to live these values out in practical ways? And what does it look like for us to be able to do that together? So those are some questions that we're going to take some time to reflect on through uh, our resource sheets this week. But we've also, through this series, tried to give us an opportunity to recognise that just sitting and listening to someone talk for a while is not the most helpful way of engaging with Scripture. We need to be able to engage with that with each other. And so we've done that a number of different ways throughout this series. And today we're going to do it a different way again, which, again, ironically, is going to involve you using your devices if you have them. So uh, if you do have a phone with you, you can pull that out. And if you don't that's okay. We'd love you to participate in this by just sharing with someone next to you and they can put their answers in. So we're going to use this thing called Mentimeter, which uh, if you've been around for a while, we've used a few times. It's just a great way of us being able to crowdsource some ideas. So you can either scan the QR code or you can go to mentimeter.com and punch in the code, which is 827. 3353. And if you're with us on Zoom, you can participate in uh, this with us as well. So go to Zoom. Uh, sorry, don't go to Zoom. You already did that. Go to mentimeter.com and then 827-3353. And so once you've got that, uh, you can see that question. So which kingdom values do you see in this passage? So in this story that we've looked at this morning, what's a word or a phrase that you would use to describe the kingdom values that you see present through this story. So when you're ready, just jot something down. As I said, if you don't have a smartphone, uh, then just kind of chat with someone around you. And if you're kind of sitting around, just check whether everyone's got the ability to do that. We'd love to put a bunch of things up on the screen. So for those who are particularly on Zoom and maybe can't see some of them, some of the words that we've put up are things like justice, generosity, compassion, grace, dignity, upside down, extravagance, kindness, putting others first, uh, giving freely, fairness, unbiased, I may have already said that, pursuing, dignity, caring. So once again, as you look at those words, I'd love you to kind of do that work. What would it look like? if we chose to live and embrace those values out 
in our lives? What would it look like if we did that individually? What would it look like if we did that collectively? And what would it look like if churches everywhere lived this out together? What might happen in the world around us? We're also going to have a look at a second question, which is to say, how do we take this to the next level? So hopefully, Ari, if you go to the next slide. Yes, that worked. Good. So what are some specific examples of where we can live these values this week? So as we head out into this week, I want you to think about specifically where you're going to be. So this could be your home, your family. This could be your workplace. This could be school, uni, friendship groups. It could be uh, as you go and do the shopping what are the different circles that you're going to move into this week? Where are the different spaces that you're going to be in where you could live those values out? I would love us to just put a bunch of those things up on the screen to remind ourselves of just how wide our influence actually is and all of the different places where we have the privilege of being able to live out kingdom values. So as you think about this week, what are some specific examples of places where we can live those values out? So again, for some of those uh, who are on Zoom or if you can't read some of them because they're starting to get small. So we've got examples like community, family, work, home, marking assessments, end of term stuff, some teachers, uh, supporting Tammy and Arthur, that's great, welcoming back someone, uh, extended family, in meetings, in compassion for self, valuing others, neighbours, cafe, hospital, generosity of patients, no conditions on giving, home life, school, childcare, <coughs> lots of really, really great examples. Once again, as you look at the entirety of that, just think about the spheres of influence that we've got, where we've got the opportunity and the privilege of being able to live out kingdom values this week. And what transformation could happen if we continued to choose to lean into that and to live out those things that we said on that first slide? I want to encourage you to continue to dream about that this week, that as we do move into this week and as we unpack some parables together, allow our imagination to be stirred up about what the kingdom is actually like, about what the dream of God is actually like, the revolution of God is actually like, the party of God, the ecosystem of God is actually like. But then to be able to recognise that we have the privilege of being able to understand that Jesus has done everything necessary for us to experience that in the here and now and to be the ones who have the privilege of being able to take that into all of the different spaces that we go day by day so that others can encounter Jesus as well. So I'm going to pray, and uh, then we'll wrap up this part of our gathering with a song together. King Jesus, we are astounded at your ability to take simple things 
that blow our minds. Your ability to be able to take simple stories, these parables that have so many layers of meaning to them, that have the ability to transform our imagination about what it looks like to live as your people. And we thank you that so much of that is upside down from the way in which we often live, the things that we often focus on, and that there is challenge in that in terms of what it means for us to embrace your way of life. And so as we move into this week, I pray that you would hold those two things in balance for us, that you would inspire us, but you would challenge us at the same time, that you would help us to see a picture of what it is that we're working towards, to live the way that we were created to live and to live the way that you've given us the ability to live, but that you would also challenge and convict us, that you would challenge and convict me about those areas where I take things for granted or my cultural norms stop me from living the way that you want me to, stop me from living out kingdom values. We're so grateful that what you have come to do for us is not something that we just experience when we get together on a Sunday, but it is something that we get to experience throughout the week in all of the different places that we walk and work and play and interact with people. And so as we move into this week, I pray that you would not just stir our imagination about what the kingdom is like, but that you would stir our imagination about what transformation looks like in all of those different circles as we continue to embrace your way of living. We thank you that we have the freedom to be able to do that, that we don't have to spend this week trying to earn it, trying to work hard enough in the hopes that maybe you'll look our way and throw us some scraps, but that you've done everything necessary with generosity and compassion and kindness to welcome us into the kingdom and to give us the freedom to live the way that we're always designed to live. In your name we pray. Amen.